Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians. We're going to read uh, a longer passage starting in verse 4. We'll read through verse 26. Then we'll go actually to a couple of other places as well. So just get ready to turn and to follow along as I read. First Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Turn with me over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Beginning in verse 7. But to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that 
he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Two more places, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Finally, I'd like to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There are countless things that we do with other people that demand that each person carries out their own particular, unique, individual, special part for the advancement of what the group is trying to do as a whole. If you have ever been part of a sports team, you understand the importance of playing your position, fulfilling your role, staying in your gap, staying in your place on the court, following how the play is designed for you. If you've been part of a musical group that plays together, a band, a chorus, an ensemble, you understand that it's vital for you to play the part that is assigned to you to not wish that you were playing the other parts and try to play those instead. 
but to carry out the responsibility that you have to do this because there is a bigger design in place for these things. And it's important that each person carries out their responsibility. Otherwise, the whole will not be what the person who put it together intends for it to be. And of course, as we have pictured here in these passages, there is the body, the picture of the body which God has designed perfectly, the human body, to carry out the purpose that he has given us to have in the world. And he has designed all the parts of the body to work in harmony with one another so that the entire body might not be a foot or a hand. This would be quite strange. Maybe you're picturing this in your mind even now. But so that everything is working properly. And so it is, of course, in the church. And this is why this makes such a proper picture and analogy for the way that the church is supposed to function. It is supposed to function as a body, the body of Christ, with Christ as the head and being built up by the working of all of the parts of the body, functioning properly, growing up into the fullness of Christ, meaning that all of the members of the body are there and that they are growing and maturing into what they ought to be. One vital component of this is the exercise of gifts, of gifts in the church. And you may have noticed this even in these passages that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, in Ephesians 4. This idea of the body is connected with the idea of ministry and ministry by means of gifts or what we sometimes call spiritual gifts and so we want to look at this subject this morning to understand what God wants us to think about spiritual gifts and how we ought to think about using them now this is a little bit of a transition in this series that we've been doing Uh, to date mostly what we have done is talked uh, in large part about the principles that drive ministry Why are we doing it and what are the undergirding priorities that we have and how do those things actually then impact us? And so while there have been some implications from this, largely we have talked about the framework for why we do what we do, our philosophy of ministry, and have talked about such things as trying to have biblical leadership, trying to have the future in view when we minister and so on. But now we're transitioning into uh, more directly talking about the practice of ministry, the practice of ministry. And um, in addition to speaking about uh, what we'll talk about this morning, we'll talk about using or carrying out the one another's in the church. We'll talk about ministering and doing ministry outside the church as individuals and as the church as a whole. Ministry at various places in life, whether you're young or old, male or female, whatever your station in life may be. And we'll even talk about the motivations for ministry, the attitudes with which we do this. But for this morning, we're going to talk about the subject of using your gifts to serve Christ's body. Using your gifts to serve Christ's body and to build it up. And what we'll find is this, that believers should serve the church according to their varying abilities as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve one another. Believers should serve the church according to their varying abilities as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve one another. 
We ought to use our gifts to serve Christ's body. And we'll begin by looking really at the question, what are spiritual gifts? What are these gifts in the first place? Uh, Now, a few points to make on this. First of all, uh, as to the question of what spiritual gifts are or what gifts are, they are uh, empowered and distributed by the Holy Spirit. We read earlier from 1 Corinthians 12, and uh, verse 7 of that chapter says this, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in verse 11 of that same chapter, it says, One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. What you have here is the Holy Spirit, who is a person, one of the three persons of the one God, uh, who by his own will, according to his own will, distributes these gifts. We find similar language in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4 where it describes gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. We call them spiritual gifts and Uh, This is the common way to refer to them, and this is appropriate on some levels, even though it's not the whole picture, because it is the Spirit of God who empowers them. And not only this, but when we are exercising these things, this is the Spirit being manifested or shown or publicly working, visibly working through believers who are empowered by Him to do what He enables them to do and to do what's pleasing to God. So the spiritual gift, uh, the, the connection of this with the Holy Spirit is in part that the Spirit is manifested or shown to be at work in people through their exercise of the gifts. Now again, we call them spiritual gifts, but that is, in one sense, it's a little bit too narrow um, because for one thing, the gifts are actually only part of the bigger work of the Holy Spirit and His grace in our lives. And this is simply kind of meant to be one angle or one element of the Spirit's work of grace in us. Um, God works His grace by means of His Holy Spirit in our lives. When He tells us, for example, in Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8, that we're not under law but under grace. Part of what's involved in that is not just the forgiveness of sins, but how God gives his Holy Spirit to us so that we're enabled to walk in godliness and holiness. So the gift of God's Spirit is a gift of grace that empowers us, not only having been forgiven to do what God says, but also that part of doing what God says is this actual ministry by the power of the Spirit. So sometimes we neglect one or the other of these things when we think about God's grace or God's gift. We focus only on the idea of sort of a narrow righteousness and individual right and wrong. And we neglect the work of the Spirit in empowering us to ministry or vice versa. We think only about spiritual gifts and not how the Spirit works in our life toward holiness. But here as we're talking about spiritual gifts this morning, we understand that they are part of the bigger picture of the work of God's grace by his spirit in our life as Christians. They are part of the larger whole of him working through us in this way. So it's a little bit of a, a little too narrow of a definition to call them spiritual gifts just exclusively. The other reason is because the gifts are not merely something that is from the spirit. You may have heard as I'm reading through these passages that this is above and beyond merely one person of the Trinity who is involved in the distribution 
of gifts. And this leads us to the next point. Spiritual gifts are also from the Father and the Son. They are also from the Father and the Son. Now this is not to say that the Spirit gives you one gift and the Father gives you a different gift and the Son gives you a different gift. But that they each are involved. The Godhead working together involved from different angles in the distribution of these gifts. So we found in Ephesians 4, 7, for example, that gifts are given by Christ. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Verse 11 of Ephesians 4, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Jesus gives gifts. He is not uh, left out of this equation, but he also gives gifts to the church. And then we find in 1 Peter 4.10 that these gifts are given by God the Father. As each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of who? Of God. So we have here Trinitarian involvement. We read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We find that this is all Trinitarian work that's taking place in 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 through 6. There are varieties of gifts but the same spirit, varieties of ministries and the same Lord, varieties of effects but the same God who works all things in all persons. So we need to just broaden our understanding of what these gifts are to say this is not simply spiritual gifts. This is not simply the Holy Spirit working through us, but God the Father and God the Son are involved in the distribution and the exercise of these gifts. Now, what else is true fundamentally about spiritual gifts? Uh, Gifts, and this is sometimes missed as well, gifts and natural abilities can overlap. They can overlap. I want to read a section from Acts 18 verses 24 through 26 and you have a uh, an account here of someone who is quite capable Uh, verse 24 a Jew named Apollos an Alexandrian by birth an eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord being fervent in spirit He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Here is a man who is very eloquent. He's someone who knew the scriptures. And these things were used by God even as this man came to a right understanding of not just the baptism of John, but the baptism of Christ, the baptism of the the Spirit. You can even see down in chapter 19 that there was a transfer that needed to take place from simply understanding the baptism of John the Baptist into understanding the promised baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God indwelling believers. He says in verse 2, there were some disciples, Acts 19, he said to them, Paul said to them, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So then there is a transition that needs to take place from merely understanding what John had preached about repentance to understanding the baptism of Christ and thereby believing in him and receiving the promised Holy Spirit 
He goes on to say, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about 12 men. And so these men demonstrated the, uh, the outward expressions showing that the Spirit of God had come to dwell in what were formerly sort of Old Testament believers, only understanding the message that, that came before Jesus, the fullness of the gospel, had been preached to them. And so they were then baptized by the Spirit of God at this particular point in church history. This was decided by God to be demonstrated and proved by the Holy Spirit coming upon them in this particular way on the outside. So here they were, and they, uh, Apollos, found himself in a similar position, only being equated with the baptism of John. And yet he had all these natural abilities that he brought with him. He was an eloquent man. And so it is that we can have natural abilities that then we use in the service of the church that are empowered by the Spirit of God to be utilized in ways that are for the benefit of the body. For example, someone who is able to teach is often able to do this because they can speak and explain things clearly. And you may find that they're able to do this in other areas of life as well because they have cultivated that ability. So these kinds of things are not mutually exclusive. Spiritual gifts are not just the kinds of things that we would, upon becoming Christians, immediately begin to do in ways that we have never done before without respect to any kind of natural ability that we may have. And yet it's also true that God takes people who would naturally not be able to do the kinds of things that we would expect or that he gives us in Scripture or the kinds of things that we see done and he enables them to actually be able to carry them out. Such was the example of Peter and John, who were said to, who were surprising to the people who heard them because they were speaking with boldness. They hadn't even been formally instructed the way that the, these guys had been, the leaders of the Jews. And yet, because the Spirit of God came upon them and because they had been taught of Christ, they were able to serve in these ways that were powerful and strong. So there is a, an overlap of gifts and natural abilities. Just to say that this doesn't rule out that you're able to use and utilize things that you can do that were perhaps the case before you were a Christian or maybe aren't directly instructed in the Bible, that these still overlap with and can be part of the exercise of a spiritual gift. So what are spiritual gifts then or what are gifts they are gifts of God's grace they are empowered by the Holy Spirit or enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit they often overlap with natural abilities to some degree and in the majority of the New Testament uses of the word gift they are connected with ministry and serving one another this is an important distinction that I want to or an important point that I want to make later on as well but we need to understand that even though we often think of gifts involving abilities, we can never, according to the New Testament, separate these abilities from the actual use of them and from the actual ministry activity that takes place. People oftentimes are very concerned and overly concerned with how they are gifted rather than with how they are serving. And the way that the gifts are described in the Bible is typically by their activity, not by their ability. So if we're going to define spiritual gifts, how would we define them? Uh, it would be something like this. Spiritual gifts consist of any 
ways in which you serve the body of Christ as empowered by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts consist of any ways in which you serve the body of Christ as empowered by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. Having said that, let's consider some key truths about the gifts and then how we should exercise those gifts. Truth number one, the purpose of the gifts is the building up of the church. It is the building up of the church. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh, it is for the building up of the church. 1 Corinthians 14.26, Paul is describing all kinds of things that people are able to do by virtue of the Spirit of God who was at work in Corinth in a particularly powerful way and a particularly uh, unique way within redemptive history. He says, what is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. You got all these gifts, right? Let all things be done for what? Edification. Edification, the building up of one another, the building up of the body. This is the purpose of the gifts. Even evangelistic gifts are meant to add to the body, to add to the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.11 talks about apostles and evangelists who equip the saints for the work of service and build up the body of Christ. So even this is to be seen in connection with the body. Spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church. They are not for the building up of one's own self. 1 Corinthians 14. Look there for a moment, if you will. Uh, Paul was writing to a church which loved the visible gifts and was jealous of these miraculous things if they didn't have them. There were people who thought that all that mattered were these gifts of tongues and interpretation or the ability to translate those foreign languages into their own or um, prophecy but they were very obsessed with tongues in particular and Paul wants them to pursue prophecy uh, God giving direct revelation of his truth to these prophets in their own language rather than in a foreign language as with a tongue and he wants them to pursue prophecy because prophecy is understandable to the person who receives it and to the church. So look what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, the first five verses. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. Why? For no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So when you speak in this other language, even something that is supernaturally given by God. By the way, the content of a tongue is divine revelation. It is God's very word. How do you know this? Well, because when it's translated, it's understandable. And where is the understandable content coming from if the person who is receiving the tongue doesn't know what he's saying? This is why anyone who would say that they're speaking in a tongue needs to recognize that they're literally claiming to be speaking the words of God, even if they don't understand the language. But he says that uh, you need to pursue prophecy because unless you translate it into an understandable thing, it's not going to benefit anybody. Uh, verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. 
I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. What is he saying here? He's saying that you are to choose the gift that is most toward the benefit of the church. That speaking in a foreign language, the very words of God, may be very impressive. But it's not helping anyone out. In fact, all it does is it builds up yourself. Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The one who prophesies edifies the church. And by the way, Paul is not commending someone doing this. He isn't saying, well, it would be better if you edify the church, but at least you're building up yourself by speaking in a tongue. No, he is condemning the practice. One who speaks in a tongue misuses the gift to build himself up in the sight of the congregation. Instead, one who prophesies edifies the church. You should do that which builds up others, not to build up your own self. Unfortunately, they use the gifts to show off for self-exaltation. All too easy to do this with what God has given us, isn't it? To take the things that he has given us, the abilities that he has given us, and to want people to give praise and glory to us. They might be very impressed with our skill at something, impressed with how well or how quickly we got the job done, how the product looks, with how eloquent we are. And yet, if it doesn't benefit anyone, what's the point? Is that really the proper exercise of God's gifts? It's not. Gifts are not given for personal showing off, They're not given for personal growth in and of themselves, although you do grow by virtue of carrying out gifts in the benefit of service of others. Not for personal fulfillment, although certainly it will be fulfilling and satisfying in some way to serve according to your giftedness. But the goal is building up the church. So whatever abilities you have, whatever giftedness you may have, you need to use your gift to build up the church. Uh, Number two. The purpose of gifts is building up the church. Secondly, every Christian is gifted for ministry. This is a lot more direct and straightforward. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. Every Christian is gifted for ministry. It says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what do we have here? A special gift. Each one has received it. Every Christian has gotten it and it is to be used in serving one another. So every Christian is gifted for ministry. Both of those terms are vital, gifted and ministry, meaning that you have been given the ability to to do something, and that something is to be directed towards serving. And as he says here in 1 Peter 4.10, employ it in serving who? One another. Serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, this doesn't rule out serving the world outside the church. But it does require serving the world within the church. Employ it in serving one another. Every Christian is gifted for ministry. Number three, gifts are extremely diverse. Extremely diverse. First Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans 12, uh, verse 4. Just as we have many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There are several lists of gifts in the New Testament. I tried to read them all for you. It's important to understand that no list of those gifts is exhaustive. The gifts there are real but representative. And the list in each one of those places has a particular purpose. 
1 Corinthians 12, Paul was focused on the speaking gifts and the sign gifts that the Corinthians had and loved. Ephesians 4 focuses on the place of ministry of the word in equipping the church for ministry. Romans 12 is a little bit more general. It kind of covers a lot of different things. And then 1 Peter 4 is even more general. It speaks only of two major categories of gifts, of speaking and serving. 1 Peter 4.10 talks about the manifold grace of God. And we have a variety of gifts. When you're looking to see what are you gifted at, what am I gifted at, Don't just look to these lists and say, if my particular activity is not described in one of these lists, then it must not be a spiritual gift. Don't forget that in at least two of these places, you have something that is called serving. Serving, which is extremely broad. Any way that you serve other people for the good of their soul, any way that you serve the body is serving. And there are all kinds of different things that many of you do that would fall under that category that you might look at this and say, well, I don't know that that's a spiritual gift. But the gift is serving. And when you do those things, then you are empowered by the Spirit of God to do these things for the benefit of the body and the building up of the body. So don't limit yourself only to what is explicitly mentioned in these texts. Instead, any need that you can meet, any way that you can serve, any activity that's there, any position that needs to be filled, these are all under the headings that are described there. Spiritual gifts are extremely diverse and they will vary uh, from one church to the next in different things that are done. They are all, uh, it is going to be unique in every single place, even though there will be a lot of overlap. There will be a unique look to each individual church because God has placed the members in the body just as he desires. Number four, gifts should promote biblical unity. They should promote biblical unity, meaning not just unity in general, but biblical unity. Ephesians 4 verse 13 uh, says, until we all come to the unity of what? The unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. You notice he does not, uh, well, he talks about the diversity of gifting. And he talks about diversity of gifts, different gifts that lead to a unity of the faith. He doesn't say that we have different doctrine and that this is to be commended. In fact, differing doctrine, diverse doctrine is something we're supposed to grow out of. Ephesians 4.13 says we are supposed to attain to the unity of the faith. Sometimes people talk about unity and diversity in the church and they sort of sneak in doctrinal diversity under the idea of a diversity of gifts and backgrounds. This is not pleasing to God. Doctrinal diversity is not to be commended other than if we all have patience with one another as we work toward a unified doctrine that the scripture teaches. But simply just agreeing to disagree or having all kinds of variant doctrine and not being concerned to grow together on that front, that's not commended. The different gifts are meant to lead to a unity 
of doctrine, a unity of teaching, a unity of the faith, Ephesians 4.13. But the diversity of gifting is meant to be permanent in the church. That's not something to grow out of. So we say we have a standard of what is taught according to the word of God that's been revealed and what should be taught from that. But that doesn't lead us to simply say we're all going to become the same person. We're all going to do the same things. If you were really spiritual, then all of you would be teachers. If you were really spiritual, all of you would serve in this way or the way that that guy does or that lady does. It's not the way it works. The diversity is never to be grown out of. People grow in maturity, and when they grow in maturity, they grow in the unity of the faith, and they, grow, they maintain the diversity of their giftedness. Sadly, many people view others that are different than them and split over the differences or look down on them rather than appreciating what God has done in the church. So let's understand properly where we should be diverse and where we should be united. Gifts should promote biblical unity. Uh, Number five, not all gifts were intended to continue indefinitely. Not all gifts were intended to continue indefinitely. Now this is obviously a much larger issue, but I just want to state it for the sake of uh, understanding this Uh, as part of using spiritual gifts. Um, We teach here at our church that the gifts of revelation have ceased to be given. Apostleship, uh, the apostles no longer being around. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 that God has given in the church first apostles. They were the most important or the primary gift to the church, and yet they're gone. So surely we don't need all of them to continue. That opens the door for any others to cease should God decide but that these gifts of new revelation of the word of God being revealed have ceased so apostleship prophecy and the discernment of spirit discerning of prophecy tongues and the interpretation or translation of those tongues however gifts of ministry to one another do still continue in all believers because all believers still have the Holy Spirit and so if you have the Holy Spirit and you are serving by the power of the Spirit according to the Bible then you are exercising spiritual gifts. So then whereas some gifts to the church were given to the church overall as the whole picture of the church throughout its history as foundational gifts, that is the revealing of the truth and the establishing of that truth of the gospel and of the, the, what we have on the pages of scripture, some of those are foundational At the same time, because all believers have the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts in general do continue. And all believers, therefore, have spiritual gifts. Number six, gifts are not static. Gifts are not static in an individual Christian. Gifts are not static in an individual Christian, meaning you don't just become a Christian and whatever level of giftedness you may have at that moment and whatever service or activity you are able to do at that moment, you're not limited to that. And in fact, you're not in one sense stuck in doing that very same thing. You can grow and you should develop and cultivate your ability to serve the Lord. 1 Timothy 4 verses 13 through 15, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Okay, don't neglect the spiritual gift. All right, so that means I need to just use it and keep using it, right? And just kind of maintain. But he goes on in verse 15 and says, Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Paul understood that Timothy could take this spiritual gift and get better 
at exercising it. We also can grow in our ability to serve. We can possess multiple areas of giftedness and may or may not use some of them at any particular point in time. The point is, are we serving by the power of the Spirit, meeting the needs of one another in the church? It's all the manifestation of the Spirit's empowering grace, and therefore it's not limited to a particular skill or skill set or ability. Instead, it's about activity according to what you can do by the grace of God working through you as a person. Number seven, gifts are a stewardship to be used to be used. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it. Employ it as serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Some gifts are given to us to be used at our desire and disposal however we want. It's up to us. They give it to us and we just take it. And if we never use it, that's no problem. They were just being generous to us. Uh, But God not only gives us a gift, but he also wants us to use the gift to serve one another. So we need to employ our gift as stewards. We've been given this responsibility. We read about this in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. We're not to just set it aside. Instead, we are to utilize it and serve the Lord with it. We're to exercise our gifts. We ought to evaluate them and uh, evaluate our gifts properly. And yet when we have evaluated our gifts, we should use them, exercise them, And really the only way we can even know what our gifts are on some level is to just go for it. And within the framework provided of the church's structure and leadership to exercise those gifts, not sitting on the sidelines, but actually getting in the game and serving. And that's the only way we'll ultimately know what our giftedness is and what our capacity is. It's not by speculating, not by taking a test, but by using it. Number eight, gifts can and must be exercised properly. Gifts can and must be exercised properly. We read in 1 Corinthians 14 that even those with prophetic gifts that were being, they had revealed to them the word of the living God, even they were to wait and to control themselves and to only, you know, have two or three of them prophesy and each one in consecutive order. We get the idea today somehow that a spiritual gift is just a blank check to act however we want. We can just do whatever we want as long as we have the gift because isn't the presence of the gift God's implicit commendation of our decision to use it however we desire? And yet 1 Corinthians 14, it's very clear that even the gifts, even miraculous gifts which were around at that time were subject and had to be subject to the benefit and the order of the church. We are in control of these things if we use them properly. We need to be careful to use them properly. So spiritual gifts are not a kind of blank check to just use and cash in however we want. We don't come to the church and say, I'm gifted in this way. You have to let me do that. I'm gifted in this. Why don't you recognize it? I'm gifted in this way. Uh, We need to let me do this particular thing or start this thing. Well, it may be that that's the case. But we don't get to use our gifts to override the other biblical principles that are there number nine finally among this list abilities are secondary to character abilities are secondary to character first corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3 if i speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love 
I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It was uh, the late Charles Spurgeon in speaking of those who wanted to be pastors based upon their ability who said if a man has not been called to holiness then he has not been called to ministry you can be sure of that so how then should we use our gifts how can we use our gifts let me give you five principles for using your gifts in light of these things hopefully a lot of this is clear already but let me just give you five encouragements first of all exercise your gift with all your might with all your might Romans 12, 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We should do this with all our might. We should not neglect our spiritual gift, but try to grow in our abilities. Meaning, whatever you can do, do it with all your might, and then try to even expand the abilities that you have. You should consider developing skill sets that we don't have. Trying things uh, that, you know, that you might not feel particularly gifted in if the body needs that. And we could look to examples in our own church of those who have taken up something they've never done before because it just needed to be done. Identify our gifts by serving, not by just guessing. We should exercise them with all of our might. Secondly, serve as good stewards. Serve as good stewards of God's grace. Don't neglect your gift. Recognize the stewardship that you have. If you're a Christian, you have a stewardship from God. You need to exercise it. And in fact, you need to do so recognizing that the body of Christ needs you. 1 Corinthians 12. Don't just say, well, I can get my spiritual life together later. I can worry about serving later once I sort all these things out. Well, in the meantime, the body is not being built up as it ought. We all need one another. Number three, aim to build up others, not to build up yourself. Aim to build up others, not to build up yourself. When you think about the ways that you could use your gift, don't think about how you could get recognition. Don't think about how you can get fulfillment. Don't think about what would be necessarily the most enjoyable thing to do. But look and see, how can I edify others? How can I strengthen others in their faith? How can I bring the gospel to other people? That should be the aim. Number four, be humble with your gifts. Be humble with your gifts. In Romans 12, Paul says, no one should think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. We don't, with our gifts, boast before God. We don't boast before other people. We don't try to get attention for them. We also don't look at other people and despise their gifts and say that ours are better. Instead, we recognize the grace of Christ in giving different ministries to everyone. This, by the way, is not the same thing as doing ministry however we want. It is permissible to say that all these principles we've covered for the last several weeks need to be in force. And so people doing whatever they want, however they want, is not the exact same thing as people having different gifts. But there are faithful ways to do things that are different than what you're doing. Recognize the value to the body of other people and your need of their ministry to you. Remember that these are on purpose from God. He has arranged the body just as he desires. So we don't look down on other people for their different gifts and the different way that they serve. We worry about all of us being biblical and then watching 
with gratitude and thankfulness as the body does its work according to all the different parts. Finally, number five, give God all glory for his work through the gifts of the body of Christ. Give God all glory. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Why? So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you serve, give God glory. When you see other people serving, give God glory. When the body of Christ is built up, give God glory through Jesus Christ. This is why we're doing all this, isn't it? And if we properly exercise the gifts that God has given, then we will be bringing glory to him through his church. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your gifts to us. Help us to be faithful stewards of them. Help us to serve with all our strength, but ultimately the strength that you give us. Help us to love and serve you in these ways. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.